0: and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGedigan dumas We want to highlight the important
1: topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport.
0: We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world.
2: And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track.
1: On this week's episode of Keeping Track, we talk to personal trainer and marathoner Celeste Goodson, founder of ReCore Fitness, The Fit Splint, and an expert on postpartum core rehabilitation for athletes. She has worked with professional athletes like Alicia, Gwen Jorgensen, Stephanie Bruce, and Roshin has also used her online program in their return-to-run plans post-pregnancy. It's a great resource for women who don't want to be limited by the transformations their body go through after nine months of pregnancy, like diastasis recti and pelvic floor prolapse, and who plan not only to return to their respective sports, but to continue pring and achieving their highest athletic goals. We have a more lengthy catch-up to start this episode as Yalicia, Roe, and I discuss the dawning of a new decade and reflect on how women's sports achievements are perceived, how certain track and field media outlets are involved in this, and how we encourage athletes to find their voices in
3: 2020.
1: Hey, welcome back, you guys. We're back from our holiday break for episode 10 of Keeping Track. I hope everyone had a great New Year's and Christmas. Hey, ladies.
0: Happy Hello. New
1: Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome yeah. Welcome
0: to
2: the gun show. <laughs> welcome to Keeping Track. <laughs>
0: So we're when, back. It, when do you stop saying happy new year to people? I still say it January eighth. As long as you're happy. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so we have an episode coming up, one of our resource episodes I'm excited about, um, with Celeste Goodson of Recore Fitness. And she is a great resource for um postpartum return to running. She does a lot with um, Alicia and Ro have both used her program, uh, rebuilding. Core, and that is what is coming up but first we're going to do a little catch-up because we haven't talked to each other in a couple weeks so how's it going ladies
0: great
2: i'm doing fantastic i uh i had a nice relaxing break i think a lot of everybody probably listening knows and they need their time to decompress um so for me 20 2019 started off like really like uh, kind of like mundane and then it really hit the ground running and I felt like our, our family hadn't calibrated for like six months and so when the break came for us I was really very deliberate about taking my time to just reset and like plan for what we would need for 2020. I think that that's what I love about like no a lot of people don't like Mondays but I love Mondays I love first because it does I do think that there's a nice mark to like okay, this is what you need to breathe. Um, I felt like getting to the year where everybody was, more people were quiet for me was really good for me to be like, okay, me too. And just be stringent about like, not going to do anything for two weeks. And then I'll be able to like have my brain fresh to think about what you need. You know what I mean? Instead of mm-hmm. hamster wheeling through the days. And so I feel mm. relatively refreshed nice. and ready to get started with my 2020 vision.
0: Nice. <laughs> what mm. about you
1: guys? Yeah, Ro, how was Ireland?
0: Brilliant. Yeah, I had a great time. So headed home and time just takes off over there. So it's nearly the opposite of yours, Alicia. And time just goes fast. I don't know. There's just so many people to see and hang out with and time just flies over there. I love it. Um, And it was great. And everyone is in a good place. So happy days. Um, Got to do a little family 5K over there. Got to do some nice runs up the beach. Uh, some walk hikes in the mountain, jumped into a river. (laughs) 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 Just a fun thing. Um, So, yeah, feeling good and uh, back now in the USA and ready to, yeah, fill it in 2020 with you guys.
1: (laughs) 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 Exciting. So one thing I've noticed about um, entering not just a new year, but it's a new decade, we see, I've noticed there are like a lot of recaps on the last 10 years in the sport and people are making superlative lists, you know, best of the decade, best Mm. race of the decade, best athlete of the decade. Um, and that's been kind of interesting because it's like, they, like, I've noticed a couple of the media outlets, they don't segment it into like best female athlete of the decade and best male athlete or best female race and best men's race. It's just one category. And, Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like the the men's category always seems to dominate or win, even if it's a, a fan voting poll. So I don't know. Where do you guys, what do you guys think that means? Well, what do you ladies, I should say, think that means for the state of the sport and the state of the parody of covering men's and women's sports equally?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, all I can say is I'm a big fan of our sport and I'm a big runner nerd and I own that and I didn't vote in any of those polls. so. I feel like there are people missing from those fan voter polls um, that are out there and just not maybe not seeing that or not engaged with that, you know, particular media outlet. And so not everyone's voice is necessarily in those polls, which is, I, I suppose, true for any poll. Um, but I I would have a sense that um, they're not kind of like a real judgment of what the best race is or you know if everybody every single person who should be voting is voting and um, there's a lot of people missing from that pool
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
2: yeah yeah i i obviously that's that's a very obvious point and this is a lot of what we talk about what who is marketed to when we do inclusionary which is how everything should be um activities within sport and i think what you know in specifics everyone who's uh, just chiming in we're talking about uh, a Let's Run poll um, that was kind of put up and then IAAF poll that was put up. And the Let's Run poll, uh, yeah, same here. I did not, I didn't vote on the poll itself, but it's also um, Let's Run, to me, I will just say, I like, think, you know, I had um, several people come to me kind of talking about the poll when it was happening and I, I did vote poll. I felt like, um, I feel like Let's Run has a lot of work to do in terms of, um allowing for women women to be welcomed in that space. And so it is a space like Molly mentioned, you know, <laughs> due to occupational hazard, she doesn't enter that space. So someone like me, someone like Molly, someone like Rosh, we're not gonna be subject to putting ourselves right out there on the line, but at the same time to recognize how many women also weren't included in feeling as if they were a part of um the voting process, I think it's a testament for let's run to take a look at. Now, you know, Let's Run can be frustrated that I I tweeted and I said, you know, this just goes to show the misogyny and I'm talking about within Let's Run. I think the group as a whole, I cannot, you know, blanket every single person that clicks on Let's Run and, you know, might comment. I have good comments, might have great intentions. But um, as a whole, the culture and the dynamic, when people come in and comment, they feel comfortable about excluding. Um, women and empowering women and, um, uh, taking a look at women's performances and seeing them as equal, um, to men, if not better, you know, time and time again, men's performances are always highlighted above women. We see it on sports center. We see it on ESPN. And this isn't a, at least somebody tweeted and wrote at least, you know, the percentage difference in let's run is, you know, I think it was like 60, 40 or 60, 30 or 70, 30. Sorry. Somebody said, And I'm like, there's no at least, you know, we need to, if you're going to be a forum that is talking about sports and you're going to do like the best of all time, I think that it's your job and it's your duty, especially knowing your platform and your following to do right by the future generations and do right by the athletes that are present in the sport right now. And I think that's a responsibility that Let's Run continues to throw away, you know, and this, that tweet also that I tweeted had come from a time where I've completely been ignoring Let's Run because of um, misogynist tweets. Uh, I'm sorry, misogynist comments that have been detrimental to many women athletes. The things that they comment when they talk about women's athletes, the things they comment when they talk about race, you know, are so off the cuff that I feel like if you are, um, if you have that responsibility as the mediator, as, you know, the head of Let's Run, you should flag comments and remove them just as we expect for Facebook or Instagram to do so to protect its users. And, um, it isn't just for run nerds in my opinion. And I just think that what I'm asking and what I'm saying to just call them out is, you know, to step up, take a look around and have some responsibility, take some responsibility for what you are doing in the sport, because they do, they are doing a lot. A lot of people do follow let's run. Um and I personally as a woman, as a black woman, feel like I cannot be a fan or support Let's Run because they have not protected me or um my my fellow women or women of color or people of color um athletes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have such a big influence on the running industry. And I think what you know, they're not owning that it seems like they're like, well, this is a fun poll, this isn't what we think, etc. And actually you know, you guys have a massive influence and you should be aware of your own biases or your the general kind of biases on your website um, and recognize that, yeah, they do skew to a male audience and that that does exclude um, certain people of color and of, se- of sex. Um, And, you know, we could go on to a whole other topic about the message boards and what happens there and freedom of speech, et cetera. And I'd actually love to welcome the Let's Run guys onto this podcast to hear more from them. And just kind of, um, you know, debate this a little bit because I do think that they have a lot of power that they're not really recognizing. And if you're a media outlet, you kind of have to be responsible, like all media outlets do at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And their influence is is massive, and it does it does deter. You know, it does people affect people's contracts. Probably, it does affect you know how likable somebody is or not likable. And um, and to really kind of recognize that and do more work around their own. Implicit or explicit biases
1: mm-hmm. I totally agree with that, Roe and Alicia. and I think you know you can speak to maybe back to the poll that uh, their their viewership, let's say it's skewed male. I think you, Alicia you said sixty forty or or something along those lines. and so a performance would resonate more with a male if it was a men's performance as the greatest performance of the decade. Um, but that kind of you know, reminds me of the, that brings to mind the issue of like, well, what would it take for a woman's performance to resonate that strongly with a man that they consider it the greatest of the decade? Like what literally, what would it take? Cause I, cause there have been world records. There have been races where the top eight women set national records. There have been races where like, like all the comparables are there. It just doesn't stick in their memory as impactful or inspiring because it's a woman's race and they're not women. And Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw something um in Outside magazine recently uh where Lauren Fleshman had a prediction for twenty twenty that more she's it was sort of by predicting I think it was meant to be like what do you hope for 2020? And it was that more male um af- more men will be inspired by female athletes or have female athletes as role models. Um mm-hmm. and that made me think the same thing. I was kinda like, What would it take for it to legitimately have mm-hmm. someone be a guy be like, my favorite athlete is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like Alicia Montano or you know my favorite athlete is Chalene Flanagan and it doesn't matter it, like that they're a woman it's just that they're yeah. what they've done. And I,
0: mm-hmm. I think that's already mm-hmm. starting to happen if you look at the Women's World Cup last year and men were looking for um, Rapino shirts and we're like I'm not looking for this for my daughter or my wife I'm looking for myself and these are yeah, obviously guys and so it can happen of course mm-hmm. it can know um, and I think it is about showcasing our role models and having them out there and and learning from them and from both of you guys are great examples yeah. of that um, and I know in Ireland we have like a professional Olympic champion boxer Katie Taylor and I know I know a lot of Olympic guys who are really inspired by her performances and they credit her as inspiration for their own Olympic dreams so it definitely has happened and can happen and I think And we, yeah, we, there shouldn't be this like weird kind of like women's sport is not great. Greatness
1: is greatness, right? Like at what Mm -hmm. point will that be kind of all it takes? Um, and then just, yeah, to speak to let's run, it's always been one of those places. I think as a professional athlete, man or woman, it just doesn't really serve you to go there and risk seeing something really negative about yourself on a message Mm -hmm. board, but Mm -hmm. they do, they do have, um, the power and the size of their readership and mm-hmm. they have you know shoe companies read the read the message boards and that can yeah. have a trickle down effect on contracts or that could just it's where pe- a lot of um a lot of eyeballs are directed so I think mm-hmm. you know if they have too much work to moderate boards they could always just make you register your name and that's going to reduce the amount of um bad comments and misogynistic mm-hmm. comments and racist comments right. by a lot if you have to attach a name to it
0: yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Facebook, agree. or like, oh, we're not responsible if people put up stuff. And you're like, you actually yes. are. You're hosting this. You're, you know, you're a, le- you're creating this platform. You have to take a responsibility for that. And yeah, it's a, it's a murky gray area. It's not really black and white. But I think more and more, like the ethical piece of this, has to be worked out, and we haven't arrived at it yet. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: definitely. I think again, taking responsibility. I think what's really interesting too is you know, we've been taught, we've been talking <laughs> about, you know, women, rights And, you know, women having a seat at the table, I mean, more and more. So obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're done being quiet. I had somebody comment that was like, I used to be a fan of the Alicia, but I'm not anymore, you know, because all you do is, I think he said like, complain and whine. And I just kind of, giggled at that the last two years you know yes I haven't been um on the elite scene in racing but I've taken more to human rights issues and recognized the importance of my role and in, in talking about the subjects that are hard subjects that I haven't talked about and that's because we always feel silenced to talk about what we care about and mm-hmm.
0: unless
2: somebody not like you it's not just about you running fast and I wrote back and I said I really don't care if you mm-hmm. don't like me because I'm going to talk about hard subjects and What I think is a hard subject to this person in particular is the fact that, you know, they might be somebody who thinks the way that I'm telling them is not appropriate. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not helpful. It is not elevating. And, you know, yeah, one day, you know, should you recognize your daughter coming to you and saying, you know, hey, dad, you know, this and this happened for you to finally open your eyes and realize, oh, my gosh, I've been a part of the problem.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I really yeah. don't care. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, you, you don't, don't know. Not, you're not a fan of me for talking about me just not how fast I can run my first 400 or finish my mm. last 200. That's not all yeah. I
1: care about. I I think you get to a point I mean I don't know if the two of you agree you get to a, an age or a point in your career or a point in your life where you're just like I just want to do bigger things things yes. I believe in I want to say what I've think I should say. And you just yep. eventually start caring more about that than about just like being liked or fitting into a box of like, you know, this well behaving perfect person. Woman. Just, yeah. So it's like yes. you just want to um do do better. I don't know. <laughs> I and, and you sit and you
2: learn and you see all of the problems and you kind of just let them fester. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't help your being, you know, and you recognize there's all these problems. I obviously need to say and do something about it versus just, you know, coming home and sitting yeah. at dinner with my husband and talking about how this sucks and this sucks. And this sucks. Well, let's talk about this. And, and use the uh, platform
1: that, that t- you've earned too. And use- yeah. Exactly. And yeah. I think
2: that, that that does take, to me, I think it takes maturity to be able mm-hmm. to have those conversations, not just to be like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. let me just mm-hmm. dip it because I might, I might ruffle some feathers and I might hurt someone's feelings. And my, what, what, like you were talking about, Molly, what my goal my goal is is to you know really leave it better than when we found it
1: exactly yeah
2: um and we can't with silence and I think that's yeah. what the topic has been is what you talked about Rapino and how more men were you know following Rapino. had Rapino not been speaking about out about issues that she's facing within the sport are we really hoorah hoorah Rapino all day if there's an, another athlete that's kind of you know, scoring goals and, you know, mm-hmm. making moves on the US team. No, she stands out because she's bold, she's brave, she's courageous, and she's
0: also a boss on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of using her voice, yeah, to make change. And I think, like, Alicia, like, I mean, I really, really respect the work you did in 2019. I'm sure you're like, wow, what happened there? <laughs> that was <laughs> an, quite an epic year. Um, but just like, really kind of, you know, after everything you've done this year and the changes that you've made, and, you know, you still get these tweets saying, hey, like, I don't like, your you know, the way you're still looking for change, basically, <laughs> and still trying to silence you. And, you know, I just really, like, you know, admire that, It's like, you know, even though you've done amazing work, there's still going to be, like, crit- critics out there and haters out there. And and you just so, it seems like you're just so charged and, and focused on what you want to do that you're allowing those things to slide where a younger person... Might not um, have that same ability or that thick skin to, you know, share their voice and do, you know, make have, you know, make the changes that they see. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, if you had any words to like encourage people to like allow that stuff just roll off their back, mm-hmm. um or do you have any? <laughs> yeah, like yes. have you guys got yeah. strategies for that? Because I do know, you know, not everyone is able to shield themselves from comments. And yeah. negativity that comes at them. And it can be quite stressful for people. So I'm wondering if you guys, you know, speak to that.
2: Yeah. Um, thank uh, you for that, Rasheen. That's really, really awesome. 2019 was just a spectacular year. And it, to me, it taught me to just, my, my voice does matter. And to hone in on my voice and speak truth. Um. You can never go wrong with speaking truth. I mean, uh, that's that's just what I learned. And so many amazing opportunities have come from that. And it really has sparked and inspired me to continue to push that for other athletes. Exactly what you're talking about, athletes that are more muted, athletes who may not have had the platform. Um, And what I would would say is, listen, I really feel like I love this quote about thieves not being able to steal from, uh, thieves wouldn't steal unless your vault was loaded. And when I feel like I have attacks or haters, you know, they're really worried about, what's the richness that I have within my vault, like what I'm building for the future generations. And that person is projecting their own fears issues, and they're not able to open their ears and listen. And to me, it just kind of makes me feel like, okay, I need to do a better job, you know, of also allowing whoever is in that margin of um, of, you know negativity in regards to this subject, to better understand what, what we are trying to do. And I don't need to back down and make you feel comfortable. Obviously, like, you know, as I, we speak about doing this podcast, protecting uh, the protecting women's sports and allowing women a platform to talk about their performances and talk about the greatness that's happening within sports. As a woman of color, nobody has been worried about me feeling uncomfortable or, you know, offended by. And to me, I feel like there are certain people who, um, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but I really do think there are certain people who have been born to have a certain armor applied to them. And then my duty is to, to what I think, I really feel this, I feel like my duty is to... Um, you know, make that armor to kind of pass out and hand to other people. And Mm -hmm. I know it's hard. I I feel like it's a little bit of duck feathers that I've got. You've got to be able Mm -hmm. to just Mm -hmm. submerge yourself underwater, come back out and let it roll off. And I'm not going to say, you know, especially as an athlete, I feel like as a highly competitive athlete, those sort of things sting a lot more um, just because your space is so, your, your mental space is just so thin of just mm-hmm. what you're trying to tell yourself. And I don't know. I just started telling myself I'm I'm the best. Like, I am amazing. I am all of the things that you want to tell. And I think everybody should do that. I think you should look in the mirror and you should tell yourself, you know, you are a game changer. You are a great friend. You're an amazing wife. You're an amazing daughter. You're an amazing, like all the things that you need to hear because I, if the world's not telling you enough of it, you have to tell for yourself. And I feel like that's what's helped me build enough confidence to just be able to say, all right. I, I mean, I, you know, people asked about dream eternity and how that came up. I was fearful. You know, I was, I just felt like, I, and instead it's Alicia living in her own hole, you know, of what's going wrong and what mm-hmm. isn't right. And why is it like this? And then being like, wait a minute, like I don't have to have anybody have authority over my life. You know, mm-hmm. I can have my own authority over my life. And I think I felt the most um, incredible uh shift of power not just for self but just for like a massive group of people by talking about it and then bonding together with other women that clearly and people that clearly feel the same way it isn't just women that feel this way i have so many men that come on the back end and say you know what do i do what Mm -hmm. can i say Mm -hmm. you know what do i do more of and Mm -hmm. i understand that not knowing because it isn't you but you Mm -hmm. you care um and I don't know, I think your question was like, what advice would you give? And I just think like, you know, mm-hmm. your life is yours to live, but what I want you, mm-hmm. what I would really implore people to think more about is how they are a small link in a greater mm-hmm. Um, And a, a lot of times people think that they can't uh, affect change because they're just one person. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if we all felt that we could affect change as that
0: one person, we would have, um, The greater change. Some of the parts, all the parts together. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: amazing. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I think definitely, Alicia, like your dream maternity campaign has definitely given other people permission to do the same and say what they want to say and Mm -hmm. um, not feel like they need to just, like you mentioned, keep things convenient and comfortable for everyone around them and not ruffle the boat or not rock the boat and ruffle feathers because. Um, you know, it's just, it's more convenient to not say anything just go with the flow. But I think, um, I'd say if I had hope for 2020, it would be for more people to take a cue from you and, um, just, just don't wait for the permission to say what Mm -hmm. you think you need to say. I think a lot of the times. Um, at least I always felt like, you know, well, you have to achieve X and you have to be Y and like, you have Mm -hmm. to do this and get there and do that before you can say, before you, your platform's tall enough. And it's like, no, just like use the one you have already. And, um, not to say don't focus on, you know, like your sport and, and, but it's just, you can do more with it. And I think, um, that's what a lot of people are realizing.
0: Yeah. Nobody's going to stand over and like, okay, now Molly, you've achieved. Um, 13 national titles you're entitled Speech. to have a voice or Alicia you have now been ordained the person to speak like that's not going to happen and you know we feel like I get that like okay who am I like little me like who what can I do and you guys are great you know sharing like that you had to shift out of that and be like wow how do I you know maximize what I what power I do have And you're showing, like, it does a lot. Well, yeah, I
1: think, Lisa, you inspired, um, like, so many other women to come forward, and then something actually got done. And so that Mm -hmm. definitely, I think if anyone needs advice, it's know that at least if you kind of say your truth and come out with what you think needs to be said and done, like, other people will feel more comfortable to do that,
0: too. So. Yeah, and then yeah. still you are gonna get, and still you're going to get criticism. So and that just
1: get. comes, and then that just comes <laughs> with it. Yeah, but <laughs> the, don't hate. Yeah, yeah. you know yeah.
2: The, the thing is, you gotta. It can't just be talking; you have to walk, mm-hmm.
1: right? And it's
2: mm-hmm. like what well, you said: it's complaining or whatever whining, unless you're actively doing something about it and it, creating conversation. I think is also actively doing.
1: Something yeah, creating the it. awareness is part the of awareness.
2: it. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to be called out, and I expect people to be you know. Uh, shook <laughs> to to say what kids are saying these days. <laughs>
1: um, Would you say you you feel more support than criticism, though, as a whole? Oh, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I feel
2: more support than criticism as a whole. Um, you know, but it's okay. It's for me. I think it's okay to to call out when there is criticism because I, I think it, there's probably some people that are hiding behind, you know, that person who mm-hmm. decides they're going to say something, and that's totally fine. You know mm-hmm. that's how we have a conversation. You express what you are thinking in this moment, and I have an opportunity to express what I am thinking in that moment and beyond, and what I'm trying to do. And also, you know, I have been able to. In I can't think specifically of something right now as we're talking, but I have been able to say, you know, what I can see that 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 way when somebody can comment and say, hey, but have you thought about or what does it mean? When somebody commented, I think one time they like weren't really sure what we expected. Um, as pregnant athletes, well, do you think a company should just pay you, you know, with you're not going to be running? And it gives you an opportunity to clarify, you know, mm-hmm. well, no, not specifically, mm-hmm. you know, as any person, I understand what you're saying, You've, you know, yeah, I understand you're, you're saying you expect me to yeah. do a job and I'm not doing that job in specific to what is on this contract. But what I'm trying to tell you is these contracts that you're presenting to us isn't beneficial or isn't uh, standard. To support women's sports so how yeah. can we come to an agreement where you can let me know if i sign this contract that as a woman and you're able to also see have eyeballs on like i see how this is a problem for a woman athlete you know mm-hmm. it wasn't somebody yeah. bringing that to their attention and that's kind of again just talk about a let's run thing that's what we're saying with let's run guys we want to bring this to your attention and how you're not able to allow for your brains mm-hmm. that are mostly men brains to open up the idea of how we can better elevate support and include our women athletes Mm -hmm. and include just our audience Mm -hmm. to see women's performances incredible. For instance, Mm -hmm. I think somebody put on the poll, uh, somebody had put on the tweet thread, um, something about, you know, they were trying to be supportive and then, you know, women's sports, but also saying like Molly had mentioned, but this really was a better, um, performance. And they talked about, someone talked about, um, Kipchoge and his you know, world record breaking two uh, hours in the marathon, Um, and then how that is such a barrier that is one that a woman is not going to be able to have um the Big same. She's she not going to have yeah. that same privilege. She, She's not going to break two hours in the marathon. Let's just be completely honest. Mm-hmm. But how are you deeming her performance fair? Are you saying, like Molly had mentioned in the thread, because it's faster, mm-hmm. because it's an issue, because he had run yes. faster? Well, for me, what I mentioned in the thread to follow up on that was well you know i thought it was kind of impressive just a few years earlier she gave birth to twins came back you know competed and uh not only did she win but she broke uh, the marathon record running 214 which was
1: three minutes faster than the previous world record it was about a minute faster but that world oh, record so if, if you faster. look at conversion charts you know the next yeah some people would think that that time is equivalent to a men's two-hour marathon or even faster so it's just it's just I feel like um yeah it just doesn't take precedence in people's minds right. the way that the male performance does and I just wonder why is it a societal thing is it is it yeah. what is it
0: well yeah. we just yeah. have to recognize I mean it does I feel like we're all calling out it's like I would love. Let's run just to recognise their again their influence on that. Like Molly, when you, we talked about the start when we launched the podcast, how we want to increase you know women's stories and in, in sports reporting. And somebody tweeted back to me and said, "Hey, actually, a study on the BBC has showed that there is parity on um, how much television time men male, male and women men and women get in track and field." And athletics in on uh, the BBC and they have the same viewership they have the same interest they have the same the same level of stardom there and um, and people enjoy it male or female and that's one thing that really excites me about track and field that we are on the same we are on the same uh, track we are in the same meet everything you know typically in olympic and world championships is the same and um, so, you know, our, our media should be representing that, but it already, the quality already exists in our sport. And we, you know, media should represent that fairly. Um, yeah. And when they Great do, point. actually, women are are just as <laughs> big of stars. The races are just as exciting. And it, I think it's the media has to recognize their influence on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I
2: so. love it. Well, um, <laughs> well everyone you know, you have an opportunity to do your part. We do need our men to support us. And, you know, this isn't a uh, women's only space. I just want to go ahead and reiterate that, but we did need a platform and a space for us to talk about these issues. So we hope that, uh, you know, you guys will follow along. You'll continue to retweet, hopefully support us. Um, And then also just look within your own implicit bias of how you, you women athletes and women's sports and, you know, when you are watching your sports center or, you know, and you can just see like, you know, the top ten plays and you see like maybe a woman not make it at all or one woman make it, um and there's like way more incredible performances, something that always catches my eyes in the fall or just in the time when like women's uh the women's national basketball, you know, season is up and they're playing like, you know, high school games over you know a professional women's game and it just kind of it baffles me so I just hope
0: that uh you know our people just come
2: on board and and talk with us and Mm -hmm. uh help elevate us
0: yeah and even though Lindsay Christ's uh like opinion piece with you guys and Mary Kane was like one of the top stories of in the New York Times last year you know you can open the New York Times any like weekend and it's very very little representation of women's sports in there so you know, it is just still, there's still a long way to go. And, um, yeah, using your voice. And I think this is a message from this kind of theme, from this little kind of chat is, you know, how does everyone use the voice they have for change? And Molly, you've been doing a good job with that, even your letter to the Senator, you know, I know we don't have too much time to talk, dive into that today, but, um, can you just tell people about your letter to the Senator in Rhode Island and what that was about and how you're using your platform there?
1: Yeah, I'll just quickly explain that. It was um, a letter to support the passing of the Rajenkov Anti-Doping Act in the Senate. It already passed in the House, and it would criminalize criminalize doping conspiracies, um, which would allow uh, involvement of U.S. law enforcement in um, sort of investigating doping uh, conspiracies. It would not make uh, doping by an individual athlete, a uh, jailable offense, which I think there was some confusion there. Um, but the thinking is that allowing things like search and seizure and witness protection and, um, kind of, uh, recouping, uh, financial losses, um, would be easier with law enforcement in cases like a state sponsored doping ring, like in Russia. So, um, that was brought to my attention actually by a cross country skier, Noah Hoffman, who, uh, goes to school at Brown now. So that's, I met him at a a event with some other Olympians in Rhode Island in the fall. And we were talking and he supported my cross country race, which was really nice of him. So I said, Oh, if there's anything I can do regarding, he works with USADA now too, you know, regarding, um, the USADA, uh, actions, let me know. And, he wanted to get some letters to the editor going as the vote in the Senate is happening soon. So um, he explains it really well on his website, actually. And he explains how you can actually support with a letter to your uh, senator in your state if you want to go check out Noah Hoffman dot com um, and do a little something read up on that. Um, but, yeah, it's just something I could do while I was running and training. Um,
0: to try mm-hmm. and take a step in the right direction. And so you're saying that Thank everyone you, could write, the, write that letter and, and send it in too?
1: Yeah, yeah. A letter to the editor from a professional athlete would probably be a good um, like public uh, use of your voice. And then if you're not a professional athlete, just writing in support of the act, if it's something Maybe. that you believe in,
0: would be good. Fine, we'll do that today. Thanks, Molly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Molly. Awesome. Um, Great. Excellent. All right, so we've got um, Celeste coming up and we, we don't have time to talk, but we yeah. just are excited for you guys to get some really good wisdom on, you know, core control and building your core pre post and um, pregnancy. And I think this is actually a really empowering episode as well, because I know when I had my first daughter, nobody was really talking about this stuff. And if I didn't have Google, I was like in the dark and I was just like, how do people do this? And I had to You know, thankfully, the information age that we're in, I was able to get informed, learn, learn some of the stuff that Celeste is teaching and really made a difference to me, regaining my strength and getting back into running. Um, And I think so many as athletes, we're like so programmed for that. We our bodies are a tool. But I feel like some of my friends who weren't necessarily professional athletes didn't you don't even know that they could recover the way we can. Um, and I just uh, still in the dark because they don't prioritize their body and their, their fitness and their exercise as the way professional athletes do. But I, you know, I really think Celeste has a, a voice here to teach people and say, hey, no, you can regain everything that you might have been altered um, through pregnancy. And I I think it's a great episode and I love her work.
2: Yeah, I really, I really love Celeste's work. I really want it to be gone you know, are the days where people will say, you know, pregnancy or babies ruin your body. And I just, I just really want there to be more positive conversation around that. And I think that um, Celeste and her resources really will allow for women to see their bodies as more of a positive entity and bringing, you know, life Mm -hmm. into the world and uh, creating that, that, um, that conversation around like exactly what Ro had been talking about, not having enough resources to be able to know what do I do next? And let's just even mm-hmm. have that stepping stone. So we thank Celeste so much and excited for you guys to hear an episode. You can also um, follow her on her social sites, Instagram. She's active on at recore fitness and um, one of her highly touted projects are her post, her pre and postnatal fit splint, which you guys can find on her website, dot uh, com. So Um, If you are a pregnant or postpartum athlete or an athlete that also has faced any sort of male or female um, abdominal um, injury, restructuring, um, you know, surgeries, anything where your muscle has been affected within your abdominal region, um, her program can also really help you with that.
1: So Mm -hmm. hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks for keeping track with us. And here is Celeste Goodson.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Keeping Track. We have a phenomenal guest with us today, Celeste Goodson with ReCore Fitness. She is a medical exercise specialist and has been helping me as well as many other um, incredible athletes, um, including elite athletes, Olympians, down to your recreational athlete, just rebuild their core after pregnancy, but also really helping us focus on the great things to do during pregnancy so we don't have to face the many, many um, hardships that can come with postpartum fitness in relation to core. So, um, Celeste, thank you so much for having us. We have my co-host, Molly Huddle, on the line, who's also going to be sure inquiring about some questions relating to... um, core that will be really, really great for people who may not have gone through a pregnancy and have those questions that are just more in the back of their mind about how things work. So we're hoping you can answer some of those questions for us.
4: Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. i excited to meet Molly and um, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Yes, awesome.
2: Um, so I think I'm just going to start off here really quick. I want to know a little bit of background about how you got your start in creating your business, ReCore Fitness, and just a little bit of background about your family life. You've got three kids of your own, so if you can just tell us how this all got started.
4: Sure. Um, I went to school for exercise science and was a personal trainer for a while before I had kids um, and started working with pregnant women while I had my first and second kid. Um, After my third, I had, which was 10 years ago now, uh, I had more problems, uh, diastasis, recti, I had some mild prolapse, things that I thought I kind of knew how to avoid. Um, And there wasn't a lot out there at the time, but I just did some, um, you know, I did what I knew at the time. Uh, And I saw working with all these women over time that there just seemed to be this missing link of correct recovery. So it just seemed like, There was this knowledge of just training the transverse abs and the pelvic floor postpartum or during pregnancy, but there wasn't a very good knowledge of progressing that. So sometimes when we would go to PT and just do like the ABC type exercises, um, they'd go to a boot camp class and they're doing like full planks and full pushups. So there just was not a lot of variation in between that. And I felt like women were either just doing basics and not progressing their core strength very well or they were going to boot camps and trashing their core because they didn't have the, the core control there in the first place. So it was difficult uh, to do well. And so if you had ab separation, if you had pelvic floor problems, they're just going to get worse because that inner core isn't firing well, and it's not strong enough. So that made me develop recore. So it was just this focus of getting women to recondition their core postpartum, no matter what doesn't matter if you have issues or if you don't have issues this is what you want to follow this progression just like anyone would do post injury or uh, you know post uh, downtime when they're inactive for a long time you know you guys know as runners you know as elites um, <clears throat> when you've been off running for a while you just can't go full speed again you have to gradually build that and you're not injured but you have to gradually build it and so women postpartum doesn't matter if you're Major injuries or not. uh, I really hope to get it, I really hope it to be standard healthcare for women, honestly, to get proper core progression. Uh, It's so strange to me that you come out of the delivery room, your muscles have been stretched for nine months, and no one gives you any direction on what to do other than do some Kegels, do some transverse exercises, or they are told to do crunches, or I don't know what to tell you to do there are so many elite athletes that I run across that um, their doctors don't know what to tell them to do. So, uh, and that's where I've come into play. Since it's been my dream to work with uh, elite athletes and help them get back. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of where, kind of where I came from. So I've been doing it 10 years now uh, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. That's
2: so, that's exactly how we met. Just coming off of postpartum and being like, wow, there's all these things I had no idea I would even have to, figure out how to work with and even, you know, figuring out for myself that I had diastasis recti and being like, so how come during pregnancy, no one told me this was a thing. And I actually had misinformation about like, don't do any core work, you know, and I don't feel like that was actually helpful for me. And so now I just think it's great for women on the other side who could potentially think about building their core in a way that could support them if they do decide to um, become pregnant and they're active professional athletes, I think obviously, you know, for us as it, our body being our business, that's one of the main things that we want to make sure we can keep um, in line and can help speed recovery. Right. Yeah. Um, can you explain to us a little bit about uh, what diastasis recti is and what um, pelvic pl- prolapse? Is that sure. what it was?
4: Yeah. A lot yeah. of words you don't hear about until you are post <laughs> Yeah. And you should want to know about them when you're pregnant or, or before. But diastasis recti is actually very common. It happens by the third trimester with just about 100% of women. They're, your rectus abdominis muscles are stretching to make room for that baby, which is good. The issue is that some people, that connective tissue down the middle, it's, just, it's thinning to some extent. If it's just a little bit, um, that's pretty normal. If it ends up extending or stretching out a lot, and if it's technically three finger widths in between the rectus abdominis muscles or more, that's considered diastasis recti. If it's a little less, it's considered just ab separation, pretty typical. So um, every one third trimester has that at least probably two to three finger width separation. Um, And then genetics play a part in how much it stretches, but so does uh, our movement. So, if we are doing high pressure type activities in pregnancy, without core control, and you get like this doming, bulging line down the middle in between your abs, you know that you are putting pressure outward and making that tissue stretch more. So, it makes it harder to heal. Um, and and then you can also be putting pressure downward on the pelvic floor. So, any. Anytime you're doing a hard exercise, hardcore exercise, um, heavy squat, back squat, you're putting a lot of pressure, abdominal pressure, you're sending it somewhere. You're sending it down or you're sending it out. Or if you have good breathing techniques, you're keeping it around your your abdominal cavity instead of pelvic cavity. So just learning how to breathe well, control the pressure well while you're pregnant, and then um, uh, just... Help keep the pressure off the pelvic floor. It just helps reduce a lot of a lot of the issues that can can happen during pregnancy.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and then, Celeste,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, I feel like one of the biggest questions um, female athletes have after pregnancy is the timeline that they can get back running. Does this change the timeline if you can address the um, or issues during and post pregnancy, or is it like what would you say the timelines you've seen have been like as far as returning to running? So I do
4: think there will be factors for each pregnancy that maybe we can't predict, or we don't know if they'll what type of delivery they have, um, or some genetic components that might slow a recovery down for one athlete than another. But I do think in general, the women who are able to get on. Uh, a good path, a good foundation right away, doing something like core reconditioning, um, they do respond a lot better. I I wish there was more research out there about it. I can speak from my experience working with women for 10 years, how well they recover um, compared to women who kind of ignore it and just hope that strength comes back slowly through walking and, you know, just typical exercise. There will be some of that strength that will come back. But when they focus on it and build, I do think there's a, just a, such a better timeline in recovery for women for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And your experience from your own running as well. Cause I see you've run a marath- couple marathons and five um, K's and 10 K's yourself.
4: Yeah. And I, I struggled after my third returning to running, I had prolapse symptoms and I, at least you asked me to tell what that is. Prolapse is where um, there's three different kinds and your bladder can lower, the uterus can lower, the rectum can lower. And when those lower, you feel that pressure um, and it gets uncomfortable and causes problems. But, um, you know, I was seven months postpartum with my third struggling to return to running. And I was doing the typical exercise I was supposed to be doing. The problem was I realized at that time, which is what made me start Recore, is I wasn't progressing the core inner core strength very well. I was just doing the basics, activating, activating, activating. I wasn't progressing. Um, And that's what made me develop it. But, you know, there are also other components. Breastfeeding kind of slows down a little bit of that response time. But certainly women can get strength back while they're breastfeeding. They shouldn't wait till they stop breastfeeding. So, um, you know, when they finish breastfeeding, they'll probably see a little bit more of that strength in the Connective tissue improve a little bit, but um, they can definitely get those symptoms to improve while while the are breastfeeding.
1: Mm, I know we're missing our um, third host, Roshine yeah. Gettigan today, but she said she used your program
4: after her second baby, Ava, and she really liked it. She said it worked really well. Oh, that's awesome to hear. I remember talking <laughs> with her by email, um, and and it's always hard because I do have a download version, so sometimes I never really communicate with the people who are doing the program. And then sometimes I'm training one-on-one. Um, so it's nice to hear from people that I didn't necessarily, you know, know that was doing it, but they did it and found it helpful. Yep.
2: Yeah. Um, can you, yeah. So I had a question also just about like risk factors and dispelling some myths. I think, you know, coming out of uh, pregnancy, you know, there's always words that people kind of. Bestow upon you that make you feel guilty, like, oh, well, one, you shouldn't be running in your pregnancy, that's what right. caused it. And I'm like, right. no, I have like 20 other examples that people right. who did never had any sort of diastasis recti after their pregnancy, Jessica Ennis being one of them, um, um, you know, Allison Felix now is an example, Kara Goucher. Um, you know, and then there's the other side, there's Stephanie Rossi, and there's me, like, um, you know, I have my own ideas, like, you know, my torso's this big and, you know, I already yeah. have had a little C-back that I've always kind of been, um, monitoring and working on pulling my lower abdominals like a little bit. Is there, is there any risk factors that, um, people can be aware of that might make them more susceptible and ways that we can minimize the severity of our, of our, you know, obviously doing these exercises, but, you know, are there just some things that you're going to have to work on on the back end as well as during pregnancy um, in terms of like your risk factors of of DR or prolapse?
4: Um, so as far as DR goes, the risk factors, they seem to be very uh, controversial. They don't know exactly. The thought is the bigger the baby, um, the smaller frame the woman um, most likely you're going to get more stretching in that tissue. But it's also a genetic component. So people who are hypermobile uh, tend to have a little more laxity in the connective tissue in their body. That's going to probably cause a little more stretching than usual. Um, and, uh, and then, yes, habits do play a part. Um, if you're doing crunches throughout your entire pregnancy, but you don't have the core control when you do it, because uh, it's not something people think about until they have a baby and they have that pressure in their belly. Uh, but if they're doing that without core control, they can just constantly be putting pressure on that tissue. And if they're doing a lot of it, um, it can definitely contribute. So we do know that. Um, and, and prolapse, I, I do think prolapse is probably a little more genetic. Um, but there's definitely not anything wrong with running during pregnancy and they have not been able to prove that pregnancy causes prolapse, doesn't um, there, the, the pelvic floor muscles. I, I like to tell people, especially, I mean, the, the thought out there is if you're doing it before your body is used to it. Right. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take someone who hasn't been running during pregnancy and in the middle of their pregnancy with the extra 20 pounds, tell them to start go running their pelvic floor is probably going to freak out a little bit. Um, but if you're, you're used to it, your body's used to the impact, those muscles are, it's good for the pelvic floor when you're running. It's constantly getting worked. It just has to be responsive. Um, So it it is healthy. You know, I wouldn't say do tons of jumping jacks while you're in your third trimester. I wouldn't say because it's a little harder to control that pressure. Um, But running is is not as bad as jumping. And it's definitely helpful. They have Mm -hmm. a lot of studies showing that running is healthy the pelvic floor when the pelvic floor is healthy so i guess the question i would pose to women i would say have you had pelvic floor problems in the past if you don't keep doing it but if you had mm-hmm. pelvic floor problems in the past and you run during pregnancy maybe go see a pelvic floor therapist before you start running in third trimester when you have a lot more weight
2: hmm yeah because dr or pelvic prolapse is also something that can happen regardless of pregnancy yes yeah. it's just about core control right, right.
4: yeah and molly so much strength in, that comes yeah. with it so molly's gonna be so ready she's just like um <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what do you like, think Mike, of all Nicole, this yeah. use, if if she, she i if i want to buy I'm, your
1: program now and like just like preemptively strength uh, no of. and it's true it's yeah
4: just, it's great to do preemptively. It's just hard to get people to do stuff unless they know it's gonna be helpful. And a lot of people don't think about it until it's a problem, right? So athletes are used to doing the prehab stuff. They're used to doing it all the time, all the time, all the time, because they know how much difference it makes. So yeah. Yeah. I think it
2: would be really great to implement like a pelvic, you know, and core program that ultimately is like, yeah, prehab in the same way that it would be in Creating ankle strength and posterior, you know, anterior tibialis strength and all these things and hip flexion strength and, um, you know, that way when you're in it, you don't feel like oh this is something that nobody ever told me I needed to work on Um, because I did feel like I had very artificial, like like artificially strong core. If you looked at my core, you can see there's abs on there, you know, but um, I wouldn't say I had a very a comprehensive ab routine in terms of, you know, your inner core.
4: Right. And what I've found working with elite athletes, um, they do, they have incredible outer core strength, uh, but getting the inner core to coordinate sometimes it's not necessarily a habit of theirs, uh, or something they've paid attention to. Um, but, but when they can strengthen the inner core well, and half of that is getting the inner core to activate with the outer core. So getting that all to activate together and then progress from there. Um, so some people think inner core is just working the transverse abs, but it's learning to coordinate it with everything else and then and then make it harder.
2: What are some cues that some people can think of when they are trying to coordinate their inner core? Um, so, I, one of the techniques I think – I'd had, after I got an ultrasound to see my obliques were like operating like that of a discus thrower, which is obviously <laughs> not what you, what you want, but whoops, <laughs> um, was the breathing down into a vase and then pulling up your pelvic floor. What would you say?
4: Yeah. I like to tell people to think of their belly as a balloon. So when they breathe in, that balloon expands um, and that pelvic floor is the bottom of that balloon. So if I was, you know, um, holding a balloon upside down. So that bottom pelvic floor, you should feel it drop a little bit when you breathe in. And when you breathe out, you should feel the bottom of that balloon lift and the inner, the outer part of the balloon come in a little bit. So you're like filling the balloon, relaxing the balloon. You start with the breathing and then you make sure that you can control the core. So that's the big thing I talk about. Um, the progression through the exercises that we've done. Um, it's challenging those inner core muscles to control more and more and more load. Uh, If you do like, for instance, let's say a typical exercise you're used to doing, Molly, um, maybe you do like a a V-sit or a really hard double leg lift exercise. Um, Most people don't pay attention to what their core is doing when they do that. So they could be uh, bulging the belly when they do that. And you're strong enough to to do it that way but you're not stabilizing the core muscles when you do it that way. So, to get you to breathe out and and, and a lot of athletes do cue themselves to engage the core. Uh, some people just don't know what that means. So, some people may say engage means just to like push everything out or to pull it in. But if you can get someone to pull it in and do a V sit, it's extremely difficult because you are now making those transverse abs And the and the pelvic floor even just a little bit um have to work during that exercise. If you just do the V SIT and your belly bulges while you do it, you're just making all the outer core muscles work. So Mm -hmm. just getting the people um to pay attention to inner core. Um and I'll I'll run them through a series of tests. The V SIT is not one I do, but you know, a series of core control tests. And a lot of times, uh, people do well with the side planks and the front planks but they they don't do so well with the inner core, core
1: mm-hmm. i'd say especially as an elite athlete you're so focused on like increasing load and doing heavier and harder things it's it's easy to not be aware of like the um you know proper and like intricate core yeah, the breathing. aspects yeah like the finer things that you can build on top of i feel like at least in my own experience i i've Blown through those before just trying to do something harder. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably really important to key, key in on. Like, I know when you were talking about the breathing, we were all trying to do the breathing. I'm sure everyone listening will be doing it. <laughs> so. Yeah,
4: yeah. And you do get a little obsessive about it sometimes, but the, I don't like people to think that they have to engage or think about engaging the pelvic floor every time they do an exercise. If you have trained it and you do spend a lot of time on it, you know, like three core, it's like six weeks spending time activating, strengthening, progressing that strength gets there and it habit gets better. So you don't necessarily have to think about it every time you do an exercise and it's not necessarily needed every time you do an exercise, but on the hard core pressure exercises, the heavy lifting, that's when it really matters. But if you've got that strength there, um, the brain takes what it needs. Mm. If, if you've got it, but if you don't have that activation there in the first place, cause you don't have good technique, then it's not necessarily going to activate well. So,
2: I have some questions on the back end for people who um, might be coming back to fitness postpartum, feeling discouraged. Um, what are some things that they can look for? Um, you talked about doming being one of them. If, for instance, mine was very obvious from a, like, no, it wasn't even diagnosed, to be completely honest, until I was like, hello, what is this? <laughs> yeah. But like for people from themselves to be like, okay, what do I look for to know? Okay. I should maybe not progress to this next um, exercise yet. You know what I mean? Cause you might feel like, all right, I think I can now do this. And just what are some things that they can look towards to know they're ready for the next um, more, you know, um, what's it called? The next level of yeah, harder exercise.
4: So yeah. uh, two things, a lot of, You know, working with people, sometimes they don't understand how to progress. They just know the hard stuff and the easy stuff. So if they know the progressions, that's extremely helpful. Um, The second thing is I always tell people engage on the hard part of an exercise. So that's you gauge, you breathe out on the hard part of an exercise. You relax on the easy part of the exercise that gets your breathing into rhythm and that gets you to engage your your core um, as you go through exercise if you engage on the hard part and you can't keep that core from bulging, then you're not ready for it. Mm, And that's basically my rule of thumb. So if you ever, you know, any postpartum woman, if she starts an exercise engages it and Ooh, I cannot keep that core from bulging. Um, I'm not ready. I need to back down and work on a different level for a little while. Mm -hmm.
2: Awesome. And I remember coming back after my daughter in specifics. And, you know, everything just seemed to naturally be working out for me relatively Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, core was the hardest part. And my coach, of course, thinking like, oh, great. Like, you know, these these times are great. Everything, you feel fantastic. And then we start doing like these circuit workouts where it's like a run. And then there's these strength exercises in the middle. And he kept putting these core workouts that I'd done before in them. And I'd have to be like, I can't. I can't do the burpee down to the push-up right now. And um, I think it's it's great that, you know, now I know modified exercises that I can do where I don't feel frustrated that I'm, yeah. you know, having to not be able to do, like, these quick keep-your-heart-rate-up exercises um, that are ultimately going to progress me from a fitness standpoint. But um, instead, I just feel, like, held back altogether, and it's really frustrating when you're trying to progress.
1: Right, yeah. Alicia, yeah. um, you seem to get right on the, the core training, like fairly soon after your first pregnancy. Um, What about, these are some questions Roisin sent that I think are good. What if it's been years since your last pregnancy and you've just kind of been dealing with these problems? Is there um, like a time limit or I guess like could it be too late to fix
4: this kind of thing? Um, What would you say to those women who kind of didn't know about this until now? Yeah, it's never too late. Your body can always build strength. Um, Generally, Later on the tissue may not be as responsive as far as like tightening up or shortening. Um, but women can still get their function back even with the the tissue being stretched out. Um, my, my ab separation did not close all the way, but I have full function. Um, and I can do any pretty much any hardcore exercise with core control. Um, there's, but yeah, it's never too late. If someone's two, three, five, 10 years, they can work on their inner outer core strength and see a lot of improvement, really.
2: That's really incredible to know that, you know, there isn't, you're not just because there's many years after you've had your child and you've been facing issues like prolapse or DR, that it's not too late for you, that there's always an opportunity for you to um, get stronger and to have an opportunity to live a full, happy, um, mobile life.
4: Yes, and you know, I would say the one thing is ten you tend to not have as many issues after your first ten a little bit more after your second, a little bit more after third generally. But if you can keep up with it in between pregnancies, keep up with it, you're you're not going to have as much as that progression of uh, of weakness each time.
1: Great. I would say um this is a really helpful piece of knowledge to have for um maybe women who, who found pregnancy or elite athletes or very high level athletes found pregnancy to be um, limiting because of this. So it's great to know that it's, it's not limiting your goals in the sports world. You just need um, some um, really specific training. And, and this is something we want to make a lot more available to everyone.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the big thing I like to say is hopefully one day it'll be pretty standard care for women to get the proper core reconditioning or the knowledge during pregnancy, the knowledge, you know, postpartum, just to get the standard care after your belly has been stretched out for nine months. So it's not such mm-hmm. a big deal to find out what to do. And what is this? And why do I feel funny lifting my baby? Mm-hmm. They, a lot of times people don't, um, you know, they can even do the the plank uh postpartum, you know, a burpee, but they don't realize why it's so hard. Mm-hmm. So they're doing it and all the outer muscles are overworking and and their spine is probably screaming at them, but they um when, once they do the inner core reconditioning and progress it, then they're like, "Oh my gosh, no wonder." Like h- how much that core stabilization really affects a full body exercise.
2: Right. What what is the point of wh- like expectation from healing to when a woman might have to actually go through and get surgery for things uh, like DR.
4: Yeah, they will. The doctors will generally tell you to wait until you're done having kids to have surgery. Um, and if you go to a you know a PT or an expert, they can assess whether that DR is functional. In my opinion, and what I've seen. Um, like 95, 99% of women can get their core functional with ab separation. However, if they choose to have surgery, cause that, that, that width just did not tighten up as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any shame in that women shouldn't feel bad for doing the surgery. Um, you know, sometimes the belly just stretches out a little more on people and there's not much you can do about it. You can, you, yeah. I tell everyone you can build the strength, can't do anything about stretch marks, can't do anything about some of the... You still
2: need to build the strength, yeah.
4: And they do. Whether they have the surgery or not, you've got to rebuild the strength, so.
2: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, So the purpose of this podcast is to tell our stories better, tell women's stories better uh, within sport. And I think a lot of our stories get left out in the pieces that, you know, Talking about pelvic floor health and, yeah. uh, you know, postpartum recovery, you know, in fitness are things that get left out of the narrative when we have um, men telling our story. So what do you feel, you know, is it part of your story in just, you know, postpartum or fitness um, that you'd want to share with the public?
4: Yeah, my big story is it's never too late, but core conditioning real makes such a difference if you haven't spent time doing it before getting that inner core to work with the rest of the body, um, you know, I hope it'll be standard care one day. And that's something I, I really tried. I, I actually, I'm really thankful. I've worked with so many elite athletes now because you, um, you know, Gwen, elite, um, Allison, Stephanie Bruce, everyone has, everyone that I've worked with has been very vocal about, um, spending time to recover well. And it's made a really big difference in how other women look at what they should do postpartum. A lot of them think you just jump back into it, but you're doing a lot of things behind the scenes. And they see that now that, Oh, they're spending time on their core. Oh, they're run walking or they're getting back into running. They're doing hill repeats, right? Like um, they're not seeing you just instantly go out and run right away. Um, mm-hmm. And that's making a huge, huge difference in, how other women um, recover. And it's been tremendous, the response that I've seen in the last year. I think,
2: like you talked about, the understanding of modifications, even during pregnancy. I think people just expect that we're just doing the same thing all the time and knowing to say, okay, well, I'm actually not going to be able to run every day. And it might be right. a point where I may not be able to run for the rest of my pregnancy, but I can still continue to do some strength work. Um, and things like that have helped me tremendously after working with you to know, like, okay, here are my other options. Um, I don't have to just, you know, Sit not around, do anything yeah. at all. Um, and especially for endorphin flow, it's really, really good to just have some sort of exercise routine for me. So everybody thanks you very much.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, to go along with that, core strength during pregnancy, like you said, some people think, oh, I shouldn't be strengthening my core. Um, but we need a strong core. You need to, eat it to support the spine throughout pregnancy to help support the hips, the pelvis, you've got to have a strong core. We just need to make sure that that pressure is in control when you've got a belly on you.
2: All right. um, one of the greatest things I've found that has helped me during my pregnancy, and I wish I would have found it during my first was um, your fit splint that you uh, sell on your website. Can you tell us more about um, where we can follow your work, where we can, um, you know, look towards some of your services and things that we can purchase that might ultimately help um, in prenatal and postpartum fitness?
4: Yeah, ReCore Fitness uh, is the website, and we sell the maternity fit splint, the postnatal fit splint. I developed it out of the frustration with other maternity supports out there, so it's really flexible, breathable, um, and fully adjustable, so you can get a good support on your belly. And as you know, you can wear it a couple different ways, what kind of support you need. Um, and I do have a download core program. I'm expanding to have an advanced core program after that and a, a prenatal program. So those should be done pretty soon, but, um, I try to, it, it's been harder to do as much personal one-on-one training, but I do do some of that. And, um, I'm excited cause I'm doing a lot more speaking stuff lately. So I'm finally getting out there. I've kind of held back a little bit and done a lot of work for 10 years. And now I feel like I'm ready to like go out and talk more about it and get the change that we need to uh, get the women to get the direction they need when they walk out of the hospital or the mid, you know, the midwife center, wherever uh, home birth that they know. And I say postpartum, but pregnancy as well, just to know what they can, can do.
3: Yeah.
1: Thanks Celeste. It's been great hearing from an expert like you. I'm glad to hear you're going to be doing more public speaking and taking this information to um, more people and more women in more cities, because I think whether you're um, an athlete looking to have uh, kids or you've already had kids and are looking to return to high level sport or any level of sport. Mm -hmm. um, I think it really helps to hear um, demystify it and take some of the fear away from what's going to happen to your body to know that like, this is what needs to be rebuilt and like these women have done it it and they're back and, that's what the steps looked like. So, um, for me personally, it was interesting to hear all that, even though I haven't had kids yet. And I know Alicia and Roisin both benefited from your program directly. So that was cool to
4: see. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. And you know, I should add, I didn't, I didn't talk a lot about prolapse, um, but that was something I struggled with after my third. Um, and just to give women the confidence when you work on this core conditioning, how much it helps. Um, you know, I've been running marathons now pretty consecutively for four years. Um, And I actually just saw my OB and sometimes uh, I'll go in for a pelvic PT, but I've said, look, I'm doing all these marathons now. Is it any worse? And they've been like, Nope, you're good. Nothing worse. So, and the other thing to explain is sometimes women will have prolapse generally, some degree, actually, we don't necessarily have the symptoms. So someone might be diagnosed with prolapse um, and they'll freak out and blah, 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 blah don't worry about it. You've got the symptoms, start to address it. But the hope, just giving women hope that I'm out here pounding on the pavement. I'm 41. I've had prolapse. I still have prolapse, but I'm not having any symptoms. So there's a lot of hope. You can, you can get back to doing what you want to do.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you and really appreciate you coming on and just helping us keep track.
4: Yay, thanks so much. Thanks. I really Thank enjoyed it. Guys, you can follow Thank us. Where
2: can we follow you on Instagram yeah. at
4: Recore Fitness? Yep. Recore Fitness Instagram, There's Facebook, Twitter, but Instagram is a big one. So, okay.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Keep chunking. Keep chunking.
1: track Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy
3: Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go.